This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D., and today I'll be covering the case of Kenzie Aubrey in Kansas City, Missouri. Let's get right to it. In 2019, 32-year-old Kenzie Aubrey was looking for a fresh start. According to her mom, Cindy, who spoke to KSHB News, Kenzie had a rough life growing up in Pearland, Texas. As she got older, she began hanging around the wrong crowd and eventually got mixed up with drugs. Which is exactly why, in 2019, she left her hometown of Pearland and headed for Kansas City. She wanted better for herself. And maybe if she left that old crowd in Texas and her ties to that lifestyle behind, she'd have a chance of changing her life and setting out on a new path. So that's what she did. At first, things seemed to be going okay. Kenzie regularly stayed in contact with her mom, and she was trying to make a life for herself in Missouri. On October 7, 2020, Kenzie spoke to her mom over the phone. It didn't seem as if anything was off. Little did Cindy know that was the last time she would hear from her daughter. The days passed and turned into weeks, but Cindy hadn't heard from Kenzie. Thanksgiving came and went and then Christmas, and her family still hadn't heard from her. With each passing day, her mother's worries grew deeper. Around Christmas, Cindy contacted police in Kansas City to report Kenzie missing, but at first they dismissed her as just a worried mom. Kenzie was an adult and police didn't take her mom's concern seriously. However, a mother knows her daughter. Cindy could sense that something was wrong. She kept trying and after five months and multiple attempts to file a missing persons report, she was successful in May of 2021 when police and independents finally filed a report. The Jackson County Prosecutor's Office issued a statement asking for the public's assistance in locating Kenzie. The press release was short and offered limited details. It made mention of the fact that Kenzie had not contacted her family since the 7th of October and described her as 5'3 and 140 to 160 pounds. The press release was broadcast on the local media, and that was about it. Later, a flyer was created by Kansas City Missing and Unsolved, which provided a little more information stating that Kenzie was last known to be living in the 6,000 block of East 14th Street in Kansas City and was believed to have last been seen with two men and a woman. Who these people were, it seemed nobody knew for sure. Her mom, Cindy, continued to search for her and did whatever she could do. 
But when it came to the police, even after the missing persons report was officially filed, it doesn't seem like it was high on the priority list, which unfortunately is all too common with a missing adult, especially someone with a history of substance use. It shouldn't be this way, but it is and I've experienced it firsthand. When it's even rumored that a missing person thought about using drugs even once way back in 1990-something, their cases are frequently dismissed, and the assumption is made that they must be off on a bender somewhere. I don't want to get too high on a soapbox this early into an episode, but I will say this. Whether or not someone suffers from addiction, they still have a pattern of behavior just like anyone else. And usually, at least a couple family members or friends they remain in contact with despite their addiction. When that pattern changes, immediate action should be taken not only by the family, but also by police. Cindy Aubrey raised the alarm bell, but it fell on deaf ears for months. Meanwhile, in April of 2021, a 13-year-old girl who I'll be referring to as V came forward and recounted a disturbing story to police. Court records obtained by the Kansas City Star revealed that V was living in foster care when she confided in a caseworker that she had been the victim of a sexual assault. The caseworker contacted officials. V sat down with investigators and told them the entire horrific truth. Back in October of 2020, which, remember, was the same time Kenzie Aubrey vanished, V reconnected with a woman over Facebook. That woman was 30-year-old Maggie Ibarra. You see, Maggie had been one of V's foster moms when she was younger. V was scrolling through Facebook and she landed on Maggie's profile. She obviously recognized her and decided to reach out. Maggie responded and after their reconnection, Maggie immediately invited her to spend some time at her home in Grandview. I know this sounds like a touching story of a selfless foster mother investing her time in a child who desperately needed it. But this story is anything but. Before we get into what happened after Maggie Ibarra reconnected with V, let's talk about why they had ever been disconnected in the first place. Now that 2023 is finally behind us, let's talk about something else we're leaving in the past not knowing what's going on with our fertility. Did you know most doctors won't test your fertility hormones until you've been trying to conceive for a whole year? That's a really long time. And with 15% of couples struggling to conceive within a year, that's a lot of people without access to the information they need to build the future they want. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within six business days. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound info about your body can help you make the decision that's right for you. With Modern Fertility, you'll get insight into your hormone levels, like your ovarian reserve, aka if you have more or fewer eggs than average for your age, and other important factors that can impact your fertility. The results go deep into what every hormone means and you can also download them to review with your doctor to decide what your next step should be. 
Traditional hormone testing at a fertility clinic can cost over $600, but Modern Fertility tests the same general set of hormones for just $179. And if you go to modernfertility.com least, you can get $20 off your test. Plus, you can get reimbursed for the test through your FSA or HSA. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash least. That means your test will cost $159, which is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash least. Again, that's modernfertility.com slash least. According to police documents obtained by KSHB, V had been removed from Maggie's care after allegations of sexual abuse by several of Maggie's former boyfriends. Now, I don't have to tell you that a leopard almost never changes its spots. And not long after Maggie began spending time with V, she introduced the 13-year-old to her 40-year-old boyfriend, Michael Hendricks. Of course, over the next six months, V periodically spent time with Maggie Ibarra and her boyfriend Michael. And all the while, these two shitbags groomed and sexually abused this 13-year-old child. I'm not going to get too deep in the details of it all out of respect for V. But sexual acts were performed both on and in front of her, and both Maggie and Michael actively participated. Maggie eventually told V that she and Michael wanted to have a sexual relationship with her. Fox 4 KC reported that Maggie had also tried to convince V to get her foster sister to come along for a visit, but V told her sister not to go because she was afraid of what would happen, and rightly so. As disturbing as all that was and is, it was only the tip of the iceberg, because what V revealed next stunned everyone. On one occasion, when V visited Maggie, Michael and Maggie had gotten into bed with the 13-year-old so they could watch a scary movie together. When it got to the scary parts, Michael Hendricks told V that it, quote, turned him on when people died. At that point, the couple began engaging in a sexual act in front of the little girl and asked her if she wanted to know what it felt like. When she resisted, Maggie went and got a camera and began showing V photos of a woman bound, naked, and gagged. As she flipped through the photos, Maggie told a story about a couple who murdered a woman and then dismembered and buried her body. V knew that the couple Maggie was talking about was herself and Michael Hendricks. The photos she was being shown were obviously taken at Maggie's residence in Grandview. Maggie continued with her story, telling V that the couple was in a sexual relationship with the woman in the photos, and that she had died after the man, aka Michael Hendricks, choked her to death. Maggie told V that the woman's body was placed in a freezer before it was dismembered and buried. I think we have to pause for a moment and acknowledge how terrifying this must have been for V. She was 13 years old, and as a child raised in foster care, likely just wanted to make a connection with something familiar. Maggie was her foster mother. And does it ever hurt my heart to say that? V was very young when she was taken away. It's impossible to know, but maybe she had limited memories of what Maggie had done in the past. Maybe she had blocked it out, 
Or maybe Maggie had been so successful in grooming her back then that she didn't see her as a perpetrator. Maybe she was desperate for a connection. I don't know for sure, but what I do know is that V didn't end up in foster care for good reasons. And the fact that she was further victimized by those entrusted to care for her is a heartbreaking story that is all too familiar. I can't get into the mind of these monsters. Hell, I wouldn't even want to. But it seems blatantly obvious to me that showing her photos and describing a brutal murder was 100% done to intimidate her into complying with their demented sexual abuse. She was resisting, so they upped the sadistic ante. But eventually, V came forward anyway and bravely told the police everything, including the fact that this woman's body had been buried at the home of Michael Hendricks. Maggie Ibarra was arrested in late April on child sexual abuse charges. However, Michael Hendricks remained on the outside, and of course, Maggie called Michael on a recorded jailhouse line. It's almost as if police arrested one and left the other free just to see if they'd do anything incriminating. And like every other stupid criminal since the dawn of mankind, they did. KSHB reported that during a jailhouse call on May 3, 2021, Maggie asked Michael to go to her house in Grandview and dispose of items that were, quote, wrapped up in a sheet in the garage. It's unclear if Michael went over to Maggie's at that point or not, but days later, he too was arrested on sex crimes. On May 5, 2021, police headed to his home, search warrant in hand. When they arrived, it must have felt like something out of a movie, because on the surface, Michael Hendricks didn't appear to be the kind of creepy monster your mind conjures up when you think of a murderer or sexual predator. In fact, he was far from it. It appears he came from a wealthy family and was a software developer, network design engineer, and private helicopter pilot. There are conflicting reports, but Hendricks employed somewhere between 12 to 25 people at his companies. He had a YouTube channel devoted to his flights with videos of him picking up his parents in the chopper to take them to lunch and videos flying with his children. Oh yeah, did I fail to mention that he actually had a whole-ass wife and kids, a wife that wasn't Maggie Ibarra. Michael Hendricks was leading a hell of a twisted double life. According to property records, the house on Buckner-Tarsney Road in Grain Valley was a 2,600-square-foot, three-bedroom, four-bath home that was situated on six acres, complete with a hangar to store his helicopters. It seems as if his wife, family, and those he had business dealings with had no idea about Mistress Maggie or the fact that he was a sadistic freak. Days after his arrest, his wife filed for divorce. Interestingly enough, Maggie Ibarra's family did know about her relationship with Hendrix. According to court documents, Maggie and Michael had met at a Narcotics Anonymous meeting and at some point after, though it's unclear when, Michael paid Maggie to have sex with him on more than one occasion. Eventually, they became boyfriend-girlfriend and Maggie began working for him, not just in the sex trade, but at one of his companies, Hendrix Aviation, or at least that's what she put on paper. Maggie's father later spoke to 41 Action News and revealed that though he couldn't recall exactly how long the pair had been dating, at some point his daughter began sending pictures of her in helicopters with Hendrix, and she told him that he was her new boyfriend and that she wanted to learn to become a pilot. 
The father thought Hendrix looked like a good dude who had his life together. So he thought this would be good for Maggie. She had clearly struggled in the past, so he thought maybe Hendrix would be a positive influence. You would think it's safe to assume Maggie never told her dad or the rest of her family that her boyfriend had a wife and children or that he was a sick son of a bitch, but you'd only be half right. While it seems she hadn't told her dad, certain members of Maggie's family knew a whole lot more about Maggie and Michael. We'll get there, but first, back to the search. The first search of Michael Hendricks' home didn't lead to the discovery of a body. But according to a search warrant obtained by KCTV5, canines from the Missouri Search and Rescue Unit had detected blood on a circular saw in a tool cabinet in the hangar, and a luminol test had also found blood in the bathroom of the helicopter hangar. The profile of the blood detected on the saw was determined to have been female. It was sent for further DNA testing. That search also led to the recovery of a number of cameras and what is described in court documents as digital storage devices. As investigators waited for test results, Maggie Ibarra got back to tampering with evidence, or in this case, witnesses. According to court documents between May 12th and May 16th, again while Maggie was incarcerated, she asked multiple people to try to convince V to tell police she was lying. She instructed one unidentified woman to buy her gifts and another man to pressure her into recanting her story. But 13-year-old V stood strong, and Maggie racked up tampering charges. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com As Hendricks and Ibarra sat in jail, investigators began speaking with those that knew them. And just when you thought things couldn't get more disturbing, they absolutely do. Most people recounted that Hendricks was a normal guy, and though Maggie may have had her issues, she didn't appear to be violent. But not everybody. Remember when I said a mother knows her daughter? Well, Maggie Ibarra's mother Ruth certainly knew hers. Ruth told investigators in later a courtroom that at some point her daughter had asked her to stop by her house. So she did. Seems innocent enough, right? But when she got to Maggie's house, according to Ruth, Maggie and Michael showed her photos of a deceased woman inside a freezer with one of her arms removed. Maggie then told her the story of the murder and cover-up, and from that conversation, Ruth got the impression that Michael Hendricks had, quote, strangled or squished the woman while the three of them were engaging in sexual activity. And while Hendricks was strangling her, Maggie was yelling obscenities at her. Maggie went on to tell her mother that it had taken approximately four minutes for the young woman to die. 
This admission is important because four minutes is a long time to strangle someone, which would prove that Hendricks intended to murder the woman. He wouldn't be able to claim that this was some kind of accident during consensual sex. According to Ruth, as they told her the story, Michael kept repeating over and over that this was something he had always wanted to do. The couple continued, telling Ruth that after the murder, they had put the body in the freezer, dismembered it, and put the body parts in plastic totes, then took a helicopter and tried to drop the totes from the chopper into a body of water. But they floated back to the top, so they came up with plan B which was to bury the woman on Hendrick's property near or under a septic tank. On July 14, 2021, Independence Police called in the FBI to assist in a second search of Hendrick's property in Grain Valley. Heavy equipment was brought in and a very large portion of the backyard was dug up. According to a search warrant obtained by the Kansas City Star, human remains were located on the property. The remains had been sealed in white garbage bags. Along with the remains, investigators also found gray duct tape, white styrofoam, wood, and zip ties. The following day, police announced that a positive identification of the remains found had been made. The woman found on the property was identified as 32-year-old Kenzie Renee Aubrey. After Kenzie was found, her mom Cindy spoke to KSHB News, stating, I had an idea, but there's a mother's hope that it's going to be a different turnout. My daughter didn't deserve to die like that. Cindy went on further to say, She would do anything for you. Even though she could make you mad, she would do anything for you. She did not deserve how this all ended up. Investigators now had a who, but they didn't have a full picture of how or why. How had Kenzie come into contact with Maggie and Michael? And why had they violently murdered her? Everyone who really knew Kenzie loved her. Sure, she had her struggles, but throughout them, she was described as the type of person that would give the shirt off her back if she thought someone else needed it more than she did, and the one who was always there for her friends, which she had a ton of. As it turned out, the how and why were both simple and complicated all at the same time. The how was Maggie Ibarra and the why was her boyfriend, Michael Hendricks. As she had done with 13-year-old V, Maggie befriended and lured Kenzie right into Michael's hands. According to court documents obtained by the Kansas City Star, Kenzie sometimes did sex work to make ends meet. Investigators were able to obtain Kenzie's Facebook messages, which revealed she had been in contact with Maggie Ibarra, who had befriended her and then invited her over to spend time with herself and Michael. Maggie instructed her to turn off her cell phone when she met up with them. Those messages between Kenzie and Maggie were the last messages Kenzie ever sent. It appears Kenzie was murdered sometime between October 10th and 11th, roughly three days after she had last spoke to her mom on the phone. And when it came to the why, detectives learned that Michael Hendricks had searched online for snuff films and had dark sexual fantasies of murdering someone while engaged in sex just as he had told V and Maggie's mother. But it wasn't just Hendricks who had these fantasies. Maggie Ibarra was an active and completely willing participant every damn step of the way. Investigators found that Maggie had an app on her cell phone to keep track of the, quote, special moments in her life that she wished to celebrate. Two of those dates were her anniversary with Michael Hendricks 
and the date Kinsey was murdered. Needless to say, a superseding indictment was handed down, which included murder charges for both Ibarra and Hendricks. They initially pled not guilty. Hendricks' lawyer Greg Watt spoke to Oxygen and stated, The findings are going to be very strongly supportive of him and a strong defense of him. We look forward to fighting this case in the court of law. Perhaps he shouldn't have been so confident. After several delays, the joint trial for Michael Hendricks and Maggie Ibarra kicked off in July of 2023, and the prosecution's case against them was strong. There was a DNA found on the saw in Hendricks' hangar that matched that of Kinsey Aubrey, the blood in the bathroom, and the witness accounts. Maggie's mother testified all about how the couple had described the murder, dismemberment, and disposal of Kinsey's body to her in detail. FBI agents and officers walked the jury through how they had recovered Kenzie's remains from Hendricks' property, and that neighbors had told them Hendricks had dug a large hole in the yard. Another neighbor described a fire pit being filled in sometime after Kenzie's disappearance. But the most powerful testimony came from a now 16-year-old V. She cried on the stand as she recounted it all over again, the graphic photos and the sexual abuse. But she never wavered and she ever so courageously spoke the truth. The defense did what they could and tried to poke holes in the prosecution's case when they saw an opportunity, but it was useless. On July 13, 2023, nearly two years to the exact day Kenzie's body was recovered, they were both found guilty. Hendricks of first-degree murder, first-degree harassment, attempted enticement of a child, third-degree child molestation, and first-degree sexual misconduct. And Ibarra was found guilty of second-degree murder, attempted enticement of a child, first-degree sexual misconduct, attempted tampering with physical evidence and a felony prosecution, and three counts of attempted tampering with a victim and a felony prosecution. Two months later, on September 12, 2023, everyone was gathered back into the courtroom for sentencing. Fox 4 reported on the proceedings. Before the sentences were handed down, Kenzie's family was granted the opportunity to speak. They asked the judge to sentence both defendants to life in prison with no chance at parole. At one point, Cindy Aubrey spoke directly to the now-convicted murderers. She told them that prison could be their second chance, and she hoped they had made peace with the Lord. Maggie Ibarra read a statement in which she apologized to V., told Cindy that she was taking accountability for Kenzie's murder and then threw any microscopic shred of credibility out the window when she addressed her co-defendant and claimed that he had manipulated her into this whole thing. Tell that story to someone who believes it. Things went from bad to worse for Maggie when prosecutors revealed to the judge, jury, and the whole world that Maggie was gloating about how much press her case was getting. Jaws were on the floor as the prosecution played a recorded phone call between Ibarra and a friend that took place after she had been convicted. In the call, Maggie asked him about how much TV exposure she was getting. She told her friend to, quote, type in world news and then my name. In addition, she had bragged to others inside the jail, stating, the Oxygen Network picked up my story. I guess some people really do believe any press is good press. Michael Hendricks was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus 44 and a half years. 
Maggie Ibarra was sentenced to life in prison plus 56 and a half years. Safe to say it doesn't look like either one of them will ever take another free breath of God's air. After sentencing, Cindy Aubrey expressed that she felt justice for her daughter had finally been served. She spoke to WDAF-TV and paid tribute to Kenzie, stating, I miss just her love, her hugs, her happiness that she has in her heart. My daughter was a very sweet person. She would have done anything for anybody. When it was all said and done, Jackson County District Attorney Jean Peters Baker issued a statement. It read, My office spent countless hours to assure justice in this case of frankly unspeakable human behavior. We sought the max under the law. I am proud of this trial team that brought these defendants to today's fitting outcome. I must again point to the bravery of the young victim who led law enforcement to these defendants. I must also praise law enforcement, notably the Grandview Police Department, for believing and acting on the word of this young victim. Justice could not have been served without her bravery and her sense of right and wrong. She ultimately delivered this just ruling. At just 13 years old, V looked into the eyes of monsters and decided to face them and fight rather than to turn and run. She did what so many tremble at the thought of. Other people knew, probably more than we're aware of, and they were full-grown adults, yet they were too cowardly to take action. But this little spitfire sure did. In the midst of a nightmare, she chose to protect her sister. In spite of all the risk, she chose to do the right thing. She is the reason Kenzie Aubrey got justice. And in the end, there isn't a doubt in my mind that she saved countless lives, because they would have done it again. But because of V, they'll never get the chance. I just hope she knows what a hero she truly is. The National Foster Youth Institute recently estimated that 60% of child sex trafficking victims have been within foster care or another part of the larger child welfare system. Children in foster care are at an alarmingly high risk of becoming victims of sexual assault, human trafficking, or both. Many times we hand them the perfect tool to be recruited, cell phones, tablets, and access to social media. According to the 2020 Federal Human Trafficking Report, 30% of all victims identified in federal sex trafficking cases since 2000 were recruited online. Over half of those cases, an estimated 59%, happened over Facebook. That's followed by Snapchat and Instagram. Children between the ages of 12 and 15 are especially susceptible to be groomed or manipulated by adults they meet online. No sane person would ever send a child into a room with a known predator, yet we hand them devices with access to the estimated 500,000 online predators who are active each day. May today's case serve as a stark reminder that we should be monitoring and safeguarding our children's activity on the internet and keeping a lookout for those kids caught in the system. I'll be sure to link some tips and resources in the show notes. And that, my friends, is all for this week. I'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. And if you're sick of ad interruptions, I've got good news for you. 
You can get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.